So this week, uh, so the first five episodes have been preaching about historical events, things that, that actually happened. Episode six today is actually a story or preaching about a story, not actually about an historical event. It's actually a story that Jesus told. So some of you will be familiar with it, but I said, I said and, and some of you won't, and that's great too. I said to our team members this morning, though, is um, even if you, especially if you're familiar with this story, have a very open heart to, for God to speak something fresh for you today. He did to me preparing this. I've preached this story, I think, more than any, anything else I've preached. I don't know, but probably I've never preached it the same way twice, and there's always something fresh. And in fact, the biggest challenge I know I'm going to face today is leaving stuff out because there's so much in this story that Jesus told. Now, the story uh, has three main characters. There's a, there's a father... And then there's two sons, an older son and a younger son. Now, the older son's not going to figure in the story today. I'm going to have to pull the handbrake on before we get to the, to the story about the older son. But I, I strongly encourage you to go home and read through to the end of the story that Jesus told, where he starts to talk about the older son. And what you'll notice is some people, the character of the older son represents this, some people are resentful when other people get blessed. And that's a problem. You know... Some, some people uh, 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 weep when other people rejoice and then rejoice when other people weep. You know, we feel better about ourselves when someone else is having a hard day. <laughs> Sucks to be you. <laughs> and, and, and yet Paul recalibrated and said, no, no, weep with those that weep and rejoice with those that rejoice. So when God's blessing someone else, be the biggest cheerleader, be the biggest high fiver and you'll see spoiler, I know, that the older brother, he couldn't get his head around that. He couldn't get his head around this, that, the fact that, that, that with God, there's enough for both of us. Couldn't figure it out. You can read that for yourself. You can pick the story up in Luke chapter 15. Luke was a doctor. He wrote uh, pretty well. And in chapter 15, he recorded this story that Jesus told. Now, I'm going to just kind of walk us through the first half of the story, and then we'll pick up the reading of the story. But as I said, the story has three main characters, a dad and two sons. Now, it appears that the, that the family were a family of means. They had, they had uh, property, they had animals, they had servants, they had fine things. And um, so, so t- typically a family of, of some wealth, some means in their, in their time. And um, being a Jewish family, it was customary that when the, the father died, that the children would get an inheritance. And, and, and in fact, uh, probably that the inheritance would be divvied up two-thirds to the older brother, you know, props of coming first, and one-third to the younger brother. But, but even if it was 50-50, point is, dad dies, you get stuff, okay? That's the point. Problem was, in this story, is that the youngest son, he couldn't wait for dad to pop his clogs. He went up to dad while dad was still alive and said, dad, uh, I... <sighs> Look, I've noticed you're still alive, but if it's, if it's not too much to ask, can I have my inheritance now? And that would have been incredibly insulting in, in, to that father in that, in that time, in that, in that custom. And, and Jesus didn't go on to explain why 
the youngest son asked for his inheritance then. Probably he's like, you know, because dad, you know, I've seen your genealogy. I've seen how, how long grandpa lived. And I'm, I'm afraid that I've got to wait for you to flip and die. So I'm not going to have the energy to enjoy the inheritance. So I'd like it now, mate. So for some reason, the dad said yes to his son's request and, and gave him, the youngest son gave him that inheritance then and there on the spot. And off the youngest son went. Now the youngest son went, uh, off to Vegas, uh, as you do, and uh, hookers and cocaine, roulette wheels, the whole, the whole deal. Um, and uh, he went crazy. Uh, the Bible, one version says he spent his money on wild living. It, it didn't explain what that involved. Um, this was the days before Facebook status updates, but it, it's kind of making the point that, you know, he spent the inheritance on wild living. Um, problem is, he, he went really crazy on wild living and actually ran out of money. So this, was, this was his whole inheritance. And, and after a period of time, he actually ran out of money. So there he is on the Vegas Strip, broke. No job, no, no more inheritance, full of shame, full of regret. He thinks about it and realizes that he needs to get a job. Now, he's got a reputation around town. The bank's not going to hire him. Hasn't proven himself very good with money, other people's money. So his, his uh, career options were quite limited by his wild living. And uh, the best he could do was to get a job uh, feeding pigs. Now, giving a bit of context to that, he was a Jewish boy, Jewish man, who, who customarily considered and do consider pigs to be unclean and, and, would, and, and therefore you just don't even touch them. You don't go near them. And yet this, this kid was so humiliated. He was so at the bottom of the hole that, 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 that the only job he could get was one that was actually reprehensible to him culturally, but he had to take it because it was the only option on the table. So he got a job feeding the pigs. And here's the thing. He's come from this, this family of great means. He's lived the high life, uh, the private jets, the women, etc., on the Vegas Strip. Now he's, he's, he's broke, he's lonely, he's full of shame, he's full of regret, and he's feeding pigs. Sometimes what we think we want isn't always what we think it is. It's called the myth of greener grass. Grass isn't greener on the other side of the fence. Grass is greener where you water it. So this son would have been better off staying home and investing in the family business and adding value to the family business. But he thought the grass was greener somewhere else. That's what he'd heard. He'd heard Vegas was the place to get rich and, and find the beautiful women and so on. So he went there now. But, but what you think you want isn't always what you think it is. When you get there, you can find yourself let down. You can find yourself feeding pigs. You know, younger people, younger people, younger people, you younger people. I say younger. So myself in that category. 
Uh, I'm younger than somebody. Um, increasingly, not many people, but um, think that that hanging out with the cool crowd's gonna gonna somehow you know add enormous value to your life. And 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 sometimes when you get there, you find it it doesn't actually play out that way. That they that they that they're not always what you thought they were going to be. Lacking character, maybe. Empty pursuits, maybe. Buying the new, bigger TV on the 50 months interest-free plan seemed like a good idea at the time until 50 months later, you still don't have any money and yet you're expected to start paying it back. What you think you want isn't always what you think it is. Thankfully, though, God can use what we think we want to help us see what we really need. So here's a really defining moment. There's this young kid now feeding pigs. It's a really defining moment because there's a question around this particular point in his life. There's a question, is, is this it for me? Is this my life now? I've blown it with my dad. I insulted him by taking my inheritance. I've spent all of the inheritance. I've, I've got a reputation around town as someone that can't be trusted. Shallow, not, lacking depth, lacking character. Here I am, a Jewish boy now feeding pigs. Is this it? Is this, is this the end of the line for me? Is this what my life is going to play out like? And, and I wonder if you've ever asked that question yourself about your own life. If, if you've ever made some, some decisions, some choices, if you've ever taken some options, some shortcuts, found yourself in some circumstances where you've wondered, is this it? Am I stuck here? Is this, is, is this my life from here on? Because the reality is, bad choices come with bad consequences. That's it. But, but while we're in those bad consequences, as a result of those poor choices, we can find ourselves asking the question, am I stuck there? Is that it? Is, that, is, that, is this my story from now on? Well, here's the boy feeding the pigs. Luke went on to record what Jesus said. That brought him to his senses. He said, all those farmhands working for my father sit down to three meals a day, and here I am starving to death. I'm going back to my father. And I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against God, and I've sinned before you. And I don't deserve to be called your son. So take me on as a hired hand. And so he got right up, and he went home to his father. Now here's something incredible. When he was still a long way off, his father saw him. His heart pounding, he ran out, embraced him and kissed him. The son started his speech. Father, I've sinned against God. I've sinned before you. I don't deserve to be called your son ever again. The father wasn't listening. He was calling out to the servants. Quick, bring a clean set of clothes and dress him. Put the family ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then get a grain-fed heifer and roast it. We're going to feast. Exclamation mark. We're going to have a wonderful time. My son is here, given up for dead and now alive, given up for lost and now found. And they began to have a wonderful time. The son did something incredibly smart. He repented. Now, 
That's a churchy word. It was in some of our songs this morning. It's a churchy word. You know, we don't say that very much. Repent. Okay. Repent is very simple. It translates turn around. When we hear the word to repent, it means to turn around. It literally means that our life was going in one direction. And at a point in time, like the, the youngest son, we came to our senses, whatever that happened to be, circumstances, God encounters, whatever it is, came to our senses, realized our life's going away from God in this direction. And, and, and if we repent, what it means we, we do is we simply turn around and start to walk back towards God. That's what repent means. The next time you sing it, you know what you're singing. Fantastic. Reminds me of the worst preacher's joke in history. Does anybody want to hear the worst preacher's joke in history? Who wants to hear the, yeah, correct answer. Good on you, Jill. Give it up. All right. So there's this guy. He's a painter, not, not an artist, like a, like a painter, you know, walls and stuff, like a painter. We, we'll call him uh, Tom Jordan, okay? <laughs> Tom William Jordan, actually, we'll call him. And uh, so Tom, Tom Jordan, uh, you know, tenders, tenders bids and so on and so forth for, for, for jobs. And, um, and he came across this opportunity to, to tender for, for a job painting the external walls of a church. Let's call that church. I don't know, Elevate Church, great name for a church. So Tom Jordan submits his, his bid to, uh, to paint the external walls of Elevate Church. Uh, what Tom Jordan failed to declare is that he's in the habit of, of thinning out his paint, and, uh, and that's how he actually boosts his, his profit margin and keeps his costs low. So his quote for painting the outside of the church was the lowest of all the, the, the quotes that came in. So the church gave him, gave him the job. So there's, uh, it's about June, June, July, kind of this time of year. Tom Jordan's out there, got his ladders up, got his scaff up, and he's painting the, uh, the, the, the walls of the church. He's bought the paint from Neil at Bunnings, Belmont, plus the thinner that he adds to it to, 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 to be cheap. And, uh, and uh, all of a sudden, this storm appeared out of nowhere. Not like you could see it rolling in, just bam, out of nowhere, big storm. Knocked Tom Jordan off his scaff, knocked his scaff over, teeming down with rain. Because the paint's thin, the paint starts climbing down the walls and, and, and washing off. And Tom's thinking to himself, oh, no, I think I know what's going on here. And he hears this booming voice from heaven say, Tom, repaint, repaint and thin no more. I told you it was the worst preacher's joke in history. Did I? Was I right? It's a terrible joke. We might want to edit that from the podcast, Pete. If I'd still, you want to hear this great joke? I didn't say that. I said it was terrible. Was it terrible? It was awful. That's right. Oh, thank goodness I put some vodka in this. Mm. Wow. Now, the story, this story that Jesus told, it's often referred to as the story of the prodigal son or the story of the lost son. And so the, the son gets the, the kind of the headline bill. But actually, it's as much of a story about the father as it is about the son. And that's why I said at the outset, there's three characters in this story. And I want you to really just don't miss this. Observe what the father did here. When 
the son who had repented was coming back to his father. When he was still a long way off, his father saw him. There's this idea that the father, you can picture the, the father went out on the porch every day, looking out to the horizon, hoping that his son would return. He'd heard the stories. He'd heard the, the, the Vegas stories. He'd, he he'd probably even knew that his son was now feeding pigs, but he'd never given up on his son. And so while the son was still a long way off, the father actually saw him. And then the father did something in that day that for, for a father, a man of means was unthinkable. He ran to the son. That would have been unthinkable. Normally it might've been a, a chariot or some sort of carrying device, or you stand there, you know, yeah, wonder when you were going to show up. And that's not the picture of the father at all. The picture of the father is a father that was standing, waiting, hoping, longing for his son to return. And when he spotted him on the horizon, ran to him. Big idea here, and this is the big idea of this message this morning, is we move, God runs. We repent, God runs. He'd done wait, he runs. We move, he runs. We take a step of faith, he runs. We do something that he's asked us to do. We do it obediently, even though it might terrify us. He runs. We move, God runs. It's incredible. God's love is bigger than your mistake. Because we can come to our senses we can realize the, the mess we're in and not repent. And that's how we get stuck. God says, no, 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 repent, move. And he runs. His forgiveness is bigger than our mistakes. His grace is bigger than our mistakes. You know, maybe financially, this is a, a little uh, thing that we've been banging the drum pretty consistently for the last 12 months. Maybe... Some of you, and I shared about a couple earlier on, without naming them, maybe are in debt financially. Louis and I, 12 months ago, literally 12 months ago, last July, um, we, uh, we, at the time, were quite uh, severely in debt. In our case, it wasn't from poor financial decisions. I'd lost my job uh, and was out of work for over 12 months. During that time, we'd accumulated debt just to, just to, to live uh, in many respects. And um, we, were, we were climbing out, but climbing out really slowly. That's the problem with, with debt is you kind of like one step forward, nearly one step back sometimes. And that's not what God wants. And so this promise that God gives us is he wants us to live financially free and not be a slave to debt. And so we made a decision. We had five credit cards. We had other debts at the time that we were going to get out of debt. And so we locked into a financial leader named Dave Ramsey and started his uh, what he calls debt snowball. And um, that was in July. Now, I knew once we started that, that we were meant to teach that here at Elevate. And so last August, we spent three Sundays using video of having Dave Ramsey teach us. And I know many of you, like us, jumped on with getting financially free. Fantastic. If, you, if, if that's you now, you weren't here last August, you can go to Dave Ramsey's website, R-A-M-S-E-Y, Dave Ramsey, and all the resources are there. It's, it's astonishingly easy to understand. But that doesn't mean it's easy to do. You've got to do it. Now, whilst our pathway into debt wasn't through poor financial decisions, our pathway out of debt was the same as if it was 
poor financial decisions. You're in debt, the pathway out is the same. And so we started Dave Ramsey's Debt Snowball 12 months ago. And we started 12 months ago with five credit cards. Last Wednesday, uh, we cut up the fourth of those five credit cards and we've eliminated all of our other debt and we've just got one credit card, which I'm trying to lasso um, and, and the scissors are, are, are ready to, to cut that one up. We move, God runs. So here's the thing. That, that required, this 12 months has required enormous amount of, of sacrifice and discipline for us. We have not gone to a restaurant in that 12 months. We've not gone to the movies in that 12 months. We've not traveled in that 12 months. You know, and, and it's not to feel, you know, don't feel sorry for us. That was a decision we made. We prioritized getting out of debt. So you scorch the earth. Everything else is off the table until we're out of debt. That's just how it goes. Great, because the goal is worth the sacrifice. That's the difference. And, uh, but we moved. So we started, you know, we, we did a budget. Dave Ramsey says, give every dollar a name. Make sure you know where every dollar's going. And we did that. And so we moved and, and God ran. Uh, if you've been tracking the um, property reports in the last uh, month, there's, there's all the talk about how Perth's property prices are going down. And uh, Melbourne's are about to go down, and you know then there's going to be personal property prices are going down. Well, we own a, a little itty bitty house in Vic Park. We're we're the subdivision. You know, I, I say we we didn't have a backyard. We were built on somebody else's backyard. But in this so-called plunging property market, our uh, house value has increased quite substantially, and that caused the bank. When we bought the house four and a half years ago, we we only had one bank that was stupid enough to lend us money. None of the others would touch us. And we got to a place last month where we had several banks competing to lend us money. That's pretty good. Well, I don't know. I don't know. We might just play a little bit of hard to get. <laughs> and uh, we were able to negotiate, negotiate lower interest rates on our home loan, uh, better terms, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Fantastic. We move, God runs. Um, Louis got called into her boss's office one day about six weeks ago. And her boss is a bit of a, um, and uh, insert whatever you want there. Great guy. No, 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 no. Missed the point. Uh, got called into his office. And so, you know, when, when he calls Louis into his office, she's always like, oh, yeah. now what? So she straggles in, sits down, and he says, listen, we just uh, looked at your employment contract, and we realized that, 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 this, that your employment contract is, is different from everyone else's employment contract. And we didn't realize that. And so she's like, oh, yeah, okay. Well, what does that mean? So what it means is that um, we, we didn't realize we owe you uh, 20 days of annual leave that you haven't taken because you you've actually have an allocation of more annual leave than anyone else because you work an extra half an hour a day on top of everyone else. And, and so you've got 20 days. But we can't afford to have you go on leave for 20 days so we're going to just, in your next pay run, we're just going to pay you out a lump sum extra of 20 days. How do you feel about that? We move, God runs. Yeah? So it could be financially. It could be a relationship. Relationship that was important to you. 
And yet there's some distance now. Maybe you need to pick up the phone and call them. You need to turn around and trust that God's going to actually come running into that situation in response to you moving. Charles Spurgeon, one of the greatest preachers in the history of Christendom, said this, Slow are the steps of repentance, but swift are the feet of forgiveness. God can run when we can scarcely limp. And if we're limping towards him, he'll run towards us. It's one of the most important images you can get of God is he doesn't expect perfection to be presented to him. I don't know if I've got the strength to get through this, God. I don't expect you to have all the strength to get through this. I expect you to have a willingness to be strong and I'll provide the strength. We move, God runs. Let me land with this though. (laughs) I love it. The father didn't just stop at forgiveness, although that would have been pretty awesome if he did, just like that in itself. The, 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 the son didn't get what he deserved. And I've heard it said before, and I'm going to say it now, and I don't ever want you to think this is a cliche. Aren't you glad that God doesn't give you what you deserve? See, we're screw-ups. We sin against him. We fall short of, of his standard. And, and, and yet instead of punishing us, when we come and say, God, please forgive us, he gives us forgiveness, even though we don't deserve it. Because it's not about what we've done, it's about what he's done. It's about his character. It's about his nature. And that, that, that's why we can turn to him. The father knew what the son had, did, had done. And despite that, came running to him, forgave him, but actually didn't even rip the handbrake on it. Forgiveness, incredibly, this is, again, to understand the character that Jesus was talking about, the heart, the nature of the father, is he doesn't just forgive us, he brought his best. He, 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 he immediately, he didn't even listen to the speech, the, the forgiveness speech. Wasn't even listening. Too busy calling the servants to get the party started. Forgiven and more. Celebration. Bring in his breast. Quick, bring a clean set of clothes and dress him. Put the family ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then get a grain-fed heifer and roaster. We're going to have a feast. We're going to have a wonderful time. My son is here, given up for dead and now alive. That was you. That was me. Without God, we were dead. Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. That's an important distinction. And if anyone of us ever, 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 I'm not going to go for my notes from this point onwards. We might be here a while. So let me just... Bring this around. If we ever, ever think that, 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 that following Jesus is just about becoming a better person, just about being happier, just about having our wish list ticked off, you know, Disneyland, tick. Thanks, God. You're awesome. If we think that Jesus didn't come and die so we could have a happy life, He came and died so that we could have life. So when I ever see someone holding back, doing the bare minimum, I have to say, I don't think you get it. 
I don't think, I'm not being critical, but I don't think you fully get it. You're not bringing, this is if it, if it, if it ever happens. When I see someone who, who says they're following Jesus, but, but are holding back, I submit to them, you know what, I, I don't think, it seems to me you don't get it. It seems you get a bit of it, but you don't get it. When we understand what God did, then, then responding by bringing our best to him is normal, not weird. It's weird not bringing our best. That's the weird part. Aren't you glad God didn't just send an angel? Because that wouldn't have been his best. He had plenty of them. Ah, just throw one. Come on, easy come, easy go, these angels. Don't even know his name. All look the same to me. You can go. And you're glad God didn't send his cousin. Oh, Jack. All right, stupid humans. Why me? Of all the, the, the sacrifices God could have made, he sent his only son. And then aren't you glad that Jesus didn't come and just take a few bruises? Which if he did, it might have forgiven some of our sins. Got us a few inches closer to God. Jesus went all the way. He died on a cross in our place. He died so we never have to. And that's why when I see people holding back, oh, I don't have time to serve God. Well, what if Jesus didn't have time to die for you? It's not convenient for me right now. A little bit busy reclining on my throne, you know. That's my perspective. It's not weird going all in for God. It's weird not going all in for God when we understand, or at least try to understand, that he's going all in for us. It's normal. That's the sort of church we need to be. The sort of church that goes all in for God. In a, in, I want to finish this morning, do something a little bit different. I want us to take communion together. And uh, this might be weird for some of you, and that's cool. Our host, if you can pass out now, we're going to pass out a little cracker, gluten-free uh, cracker, and a little bit of uh, uh, non-alcoholic grape juice. Sorry about that. Um, and uh, they represent, they're, they're just symbols, okay? There's nothing magical about them. We just bought them from the supermarket. But they, they, they represent Jesus' body, and Jesus' blood. They're symbols, and they're meant to act as reminders. And in fact, when Jesus was gathered with his closest followers, it's called the Last Supper, because that's literally what it was. It was his last meal with them around a table. He actually did this. He actually, it would have just been normal stuff on a table in that culture, some bread on the middle of the table, some wine in the goblet in front of them. He, he, he grabbed the bread and he, and, he, and he broke a bit and he, and he held it up and he said, and he, and he, and he, he made this lesson. He made, the, in, in Elevate Kids, we called it an object lesson. Okay. This is the adult version. This is the grown-up version. Okay. This little bit of cracker. It's, it's, a, it's a symbol of Jesus' body. And, it, and, it's, and, and we're meant to take it. Jesus said, take it. When, when you do, gather together as a church. When you take it, remember me. Remember my body, that remember that I died so you wouldn't have to. And the blood, the blood, the, the, the juice is, is symbolic of his blood. Again, it's just juice. There's nothing magical about the juice. It, it, 
the, the, the cracker's not the point. The, the juice isn't the point. They're, they're object lessons. They're things that you now have in your hand. You can take it or not take it. If In a moment, if this is new to you, you can just let it go. But you're welcome to join us. Absolutely. Jesus doesn't have an entry level that you have to kind of pass the exam before you get to follow him. Um, and I want us to remember this morning that Jesus, that God sent his best. That God sent his son and that his son gave his best, gave his everything, literally his, his body and his blood in our place. Music team, come up, uh, please. And um, can you, Jerry, can you play guitar whilst juggling a cup and you can use the wafer as a plectrum or something. I don't know. You figured out you're a smart guy. Um, here's what I want us to do is I want us to just in literally in a moment to, to eat that cracker in a moment and drink that juice in a moment. I'm going to pray. And then I want us to stand. There's a song that we sung this morning, a new song, great song. And so you might not know, know the, um, the tune. That's cool. We'll have the words on the screen. But I want this to be a reminder. Jesus, when you do this, remember me. Not just remember me as an historical character. Don't just remember me that I'm the son of God. Remember what I did. Remember why I did it. Remember that you are why I did it. You're why I abandoned heaven. I emptied myself out of heaven by choice for you. I chose you over heaven. I chose death because of you. He didn't have to. That's the great thing about it. He didn't have to. No, he didn't have to. He chose to because of God's value that he puts on you and of how much the Father stands on the porch every day looking for you, looking for us. Hoping we turn around, hoping we move. And as we move, he runs. God ran to you. God ran to me. God died in our place. Let's take that cracker. And then let's take that juice. And while you're doing that, I'm going to pray. And then let's stand. Let's sing. This is a song of celebration, of declaration, of reminder. God, I thank you that you died in our place. I thank you that you chose to leave heaven. You chose to come and die a horrific death. So that we would never have to. God, we, we won't ever fully appreciate what that means. But God, let us use this moment together to, to better remind ourselves of what you did. And to allow that to recalibrate what's important to us. That going all in is normal because you went all in for us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.